So as I said earlier at the outset, uh, the first service in January has become our personal journeys service. Um, I think many of us have had the opportunity to stand here and talk about how did we get here. And today we have three of our newer members, Alex Seaton, Greg Scheib, and Carrie Knoll, who will be speaking with you today. We also have a special treat because in between uh, the first two of uh, the speakers, Gina and her friend Patrick will be doing a little musical interlude, which I'm looking forward to. Alex? Good morning, everyone. I'm Alexandra Seaton, and I'm going to share with you today an unforgettable experience I had 50 years ago working for Mother Teresa with the lepers in Calcutta, India. Let me say, let me start by saying that I have not yet seen the movie about Mother Teresa, and also that she was a very humble person, never satisfied with herself. And I think she would be highly embarrassed, even angry, at the prospect of sainthood. We can only judge her against our own far greater imperfections. She refracted her life's mission through Catholicism because she was born a Catholic in Albania. But I think she would have been equally comfortable as a Hindu or a Buddhist. When we met her, she was not well known outside of India and her international fame was yet to come. As a bit of background, my husband, Sidney Wright, received a trust fund when he was 35, and after several false starts, said to me one day, what should we do with what's left? Let's go around the world, I replied. And we did, for seven years, until our money ran out. We lived frugally, renting a small place in a central area and using it as a base from which to travel and explore the history, language, religion, and customs of Spain, Crete, Japan, Thailand, India, and Lebanon, among many other places. We lived with the locals, not with the expats, so as to truly experience the country we were in. I revised this a bit. <laughs> um, my husband, Sid, and I flew into Calcutta from Thailand and Burma on October 28, 1964, three days after my 31st birthday. After finding and settling into a cheap little Lebanese hotel, we went to see an American to whom we had an introduction, who we knew ran the Salvation Army Hostel in Calcutta. Over the inevitable milky tea, which I hated, we, ch we chatted about this and that. He knew India and Calcutta well after many years of residence. But for us, it was a shock following months in the lotus land of Bangkok, the beautiful north of Thailand, and the great Khmer temples of Cambodia. He mentioned a friend of his, a, man who worked with the, a nun who worked with the poor, rescuing them from the streets of Calcutta. Would we like to meet her, he said. Yes, we said. So we walked across the hut in the dusty Maidan, where the British Army used to hold spectacular parades 
in scarlet uniforms mounted on beautifully trained horses with black polished hooves. But the British were gone. India was no longer the great diamond in the British Empire. And Calcutta, well, Calcutta was a place to escape from. Except that most of Calcutta was one great slum of migrants who had fled desperate poverty in the countryside, escaping into the lodestone of the great city, hoping to find work. We walked through increasingly narrow, dirty streets until coming upon a very large shed, which, can you hear me properly? Okay. Um, which seemed to occupy an entire block. From the doorway, we saw row after row of cotton pallets on the floor, each occupied by an inert body covered with a dirty dhoti, or ragged sari, the universal clothing of the poor in India. Occasionally, one would cry out or writhe on the thin mattress. Beside each was a, a, a tin mug and a plate. A tiny little woman, less than five feet tall and thin as a rail, in bare feet and dressed in a white cotton sari bordered with blue stripes, walked briskly up to us, warmly greeting our companion from the Salvation Army in accented English and turning to us with an inquiring smile. He introduced us, two travelers from Mexico, who had been inter interested to meet his friend, Mother Teresa, and see the work that she was doing. She wasted no time. Would you like to help? I need more hands to help. I always need more hands to help. Yes, said my husband after a second's hesitation. Uh, yes, we would. I agreed as she looked at me. And so, almost casually, belong one of the most memorable experiences of our seven years' travel around the world, and indeed of my entire 82 years. I need someone to help with the lepers, she said. Come tomorrow morning before, before sunrise, while it is still cool, and I will get you started. Mother Teresa was not particularly well-known when we knew her, except in India. She told us once with a little grin that, that the fabulously wealthy Mr. Tata com complained to her that it was incredibly expensive to keep her so poor. Tiny as she was, she seemed to be an almost incandescent point of energy, totally focused on the work she had undertaken. She had no qualms about asking for money or for help, as she had so swiftly annexed Sid and me. And she was irresistible, as she lived totally what she believed, without an ounce of visible ego. We learned that she ate the same simple, cheap food she fed to the people she rescued from the streets each night, bringing the very sick to her shed. She, uh, bringing the very sick to her big shed, she said, to die in dignity where they are loved. With food and care, she often brought them back to life and health, rather than dying on the street like abandoned dogs, as she would say sadly. The following morning, we showed up at her door, having had a breakfast of beans and chapatis, much like breakfast in the Mexican countryside, of beans and tortillas. She gave us each two buckets of simple food to carry, chapatis, some kind of cooked grains, a thin gruel, and a scoop, 
and led us down 12 or 10 or 12 blocks. Here is where I need you to work, she said, with my lepers. They are wonderful people. We stood at the entrance of a long, somewhat narrow street. But rather than houses or huts on each side, there were simple openings, some with a cloth hanging across. At the far end was a water tap. The street was unpaved, just clay smooth with the polish of bare feet. As we appeared, people filled the doorways, standing or sitting quietly, with faces of welcome. I was struck by how extremely clean the street was, with none of the debris cluttering most of the rest of Calcutta. A handmade broom of thin branches bound together leaned against a wall. Mother Teresa entered the first doorway and motioned us inside. It was a small, bare room, the only light coming from the entrance. Inside, a man was sitting on a mat and leaning against the wall, a tin plate in his hand, a tin cup beside him. I suddenly saw that his legs were missing from the legs down, from the knees down. The nun greeted him warmly in his own language, and he gave her a radiant smile in reply. She put a generous scoop of food on his plate with a chipate and filled his cup with the thin gruel, uh, with the thin gruel, motioning to us to see the amounts. And so we went from opening to opening on each side, down the street, delivering breakfast to the people, as Mother Teresa gave us a running commentary on them and their lives. Some had no arms or hands or legs or ears or noses. She explained that the ones with legs helped those without, those with arms the same, often carrying water from the single tap uh, to those who could not get to it. Some who were less debilitated in the early stages of their illness swept the road. She inquired about each person. She had a phenomenal memory for names and made notes about those who needed bandages or other help as their sickness advanced. Indians have a horror of leprosy which is why they were all segregated in this one street. And as far as the authorities were concerned, encouraged to die. Only Teresa fought for them with the bureaucracy, fed them, cared for them until they died, and then arranged to take their bodies to the ghats for, the, for a decent cremation. There was no cure. For them, leprosy was not only a death sentence, but exile from all society except their own, including from their families. For three, for three weeks after she had shown us how, we carried food to the lepers morning and night. Language barriers were bridged with smiles, grimaces of pain, hand and body language. We made notes about problems and took them to Mother Teresa when returning the empty buckets identifying people by the numbers painted over their doorways. It was an indelible and immensely humbling... I can't see... Oh, okay. Uh, ...lesson to sit in me of depth and height of the human spirit. How one tiny indomit indomitable woman 
could lift the morale of a street full of people, everyone facing dreadful death, inspire them to the daily acts of courage and charity when the world had thrown them aside, shown that greatness of soul hides in completely ordinary people, irrespective of pain or poverty. Perhaps Christ meant that when he said it was harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, and that Mr. Tata alluded to it when he said wryly how expensive it was to keep Mother Teresa poor. In the evening after leaving Mother Teresa, Sid and I walked back to our hotel along sidewalks lined with people sleeping on the streets. One sometimes had to step over them, to step over feet to get past. Teresa sent out helpers each night to find the sickest and most desperate and bring them into her shelter for food and care and perhaps to die with dignity. It seemed almost obscene to go back to our comfortable little hotel, order a good supper and perhaps walk around for a while in the cool of the evening, admiring the buildings of the British Raj or a Maharaja's ornate palace. To this day, I never take for granted the clean, comfortable luxury of the life that I was so lucky to have been born into. It was a searing experience. It never occurred to us to worry about catching leprosy ourselves. It's not easily transmitted. But I remember feeling guilty each morning as we returned to our simple but clean and comfortable little hotel for a cool shower and a good breakfast before setting out on the day's adventures to historic monuments, museums, the USIS library, perhaps a festival of classical Indian dance and music, going from a nadir of human wretchedness to the comfort and security of delightful unimportance. I fled the family bosom at 19 and made my own way thereafter, taking for granted an excellent education, successful family, plenty of food on the table, a life of privilege I enjoyed in my childhood. So why at 32 did Teresa and the lepers make such an indelible impression on me? Uh, did that, how did that experience change my life? When I was nine or ten, I loved to sleep out in the apple orchard on summer nights in New Hampshire. I would lie in my sleeping bag looking up at the stars thinking the movement of the stars is like my movement. Their heat is the same heat in my body. The atoms are the same as the ones that make up me and everyone and everything else. We all move together in a sort of heavenly dance. I am the same as the stars, part of the universe. We are all one. I belong to the universe. When I worked with the lepers, that profound early revelation extended to them. They, too, were equally part of the universe, part of me, I of them. We shared the same humanity. There but for the grace of God and luck, perhaps even karma, went I in pain, hungry, terribly dying. And their loving care for each other was a profound lesson for my own humanity, if I could accept it. Their gratitude for the simplest food, their love of the little nun who cared about them. Who knew their histories? Perhaps a carefree childhood, 
caring parents, wives, husbands, children, loved and lost, abandoned by a horrified society as the dreadful disease slowly devoured their lives. So I, a child of privilege, banged suddenly and hard against the opposite, mediated and somehow deeply explained by the incandescent spirit of a lady with total commitment to our common humanity. But we also share her humanity if we can summon the strength of soul to admit it. The opposite of ego, possessions, and fear. fear. So she is the template against which I view the purest spirit of human possibility in this boundless universe we share and for now call home. I end with a poem by William Blake, which could have been written for the extraordinary woman who I was privileged to meet so briefly, and which to me describes her perfectly. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy perfect symmetry? Thank you.
often you get to follow Mother Teresa. Right? <laughs> a piece of cake. Um, mine's a little closer to home, but I'm going to give you the nickel tour. Um, I was raised Catholic. I grew up in Southern California. Um, I like going to church. We had a little hippie church back in the 70s, you know. We used to sing songs and guitars and stuff like that. And um, I liked the priest and everything else. Um, then my mom had the brilliant idea of sending me to Catholic summer camp for two weeks. First time I was at camp. And um, it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. Um, and it was the first time... and. Actually, the only time that all I needed was to um, start to see some of the hypocrisy between what was being taught and what was being, you know, actually practiced. Um, nothing nefarious or anything, but just um, um, just uh, I, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I mean, I was like inconsolable for the first week in crying. And and I remember begging the priest to let me call home. And he basically said, well, you can't always get what you want. And sure, I guess that's a lesson to learn. But I'm not sure uh, an eight-year-old needs to learn that. Um, so that actually, it, it, you know, it's funny now, 40 years later, it, it, it it's uh, interesting how profound that, that experience um, was to me. Um, because it really just, took out any of my faith in what was really being taught. Um, and, you know, I did all, you know, I went to church on Christmas and Easter because that's what our family did and all those things. Um, but then as an adult, as soon as I could control my own life, I just didn't need it. I didn't want it. And, of course, um, as I got older, uh all the exclusionary, sexist, racist, um, uh, intolerant kinds of views of the Catholic Church just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it, I've often thought of it as as almost being sinful in terms of what um, some of the um, policies and sort of ill-conceived um, notions about how people should live their lives or how we think other people should live their lives. Um, so I went the other direction. I um, I was already interested. The first thing I ever wanted to do was be a paleontologist. I'm sure the, the priests loved that when I was back in uh, school. But um, but you know, became a biology major. And what I found was is that where I was finding all my spirituality, my connectedness to the world was um, when I was out by myself in nature, um, hiking, just feeling connected sort of along the lines of what Alex was saying, just feeling sort of a part of something huge, right? I mean, star stuff and and the fact that uh, matter doesn't change. I mean, you know, we die, but we're still there. You know, we go on, we exist. Um, didn't need a bunch of, um, you know, divine um, entities controlling me or guiding me. Um, I also um, realized in some of that process that I just, and it's a little pessimistic, I suppose, but I got this sense that, you know, the world's just a hard place. And uh, there's not a lot of uh, good or bad about it. Things happen, you know, it's not about who we are, what we did, or what we didn't do. 
Um, but I did come to a firm belief that um, if there was anything that was worth doing, it was trying to help each other maybe make things a little easier as we're going through this experience together, right? And I think that's um, informed um, pretty much what what I've done and what I've tried to do and, and the things, trying to find things that are bigger than myself and that, that try to put more good in the world um, and um, create things rather than destroy them or tear them down. Um, but, um, and I was going along fine. I, you know, I, I got married very late. I didn't meet Liz until I was almost 40 years old. Um, didn't really have any need for a church. Um, but um, when Lizzie came along, um, uh, a funny bunch of things happened that were all related to, to our meeting. One was just um, finding Lizzie. Um, it just, there were things that just felt like they were meant to be. Um, one, uh, one of those was uh, going to Costa Rica and finding our dog. And bringing her back from Costa Rica on our honeymoon. I mean, it's like, come on, really? Um, and so, um, and then, of course, um, uh, when Grace showed up, um, you know, it, uh, um, yeah, when Grace showed up, that was pretty much the end of it. Um, it doesn't really shake what I believe. I, I don't really have a lot of... Um, um, grandiose notions about why we're here or why we're not here. You know, I'm still pretty grounded in, you know, things happen, evolution, we're lucky to be here, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think there's anything really preordained, but I do believe that we um, we have the ability to make our own, you know, right and wrong. And, um, and it really comes down to, you know, treating other people well, and trying to make things better, make the world a better place. Um, and, you know, when Grace, my daughter, came um, along, uh, it was really Lizzie that suggested that um, as she got older that we wanted to give her some grounding and spirituality and all. And um, I knew that wasn't going to come from the Catholic Church or the you know Episcopal Church or any other church. Um, but I could get behind the notion of what um, the UU church was after, which was really about, it's always been about inclusion and equality and and allowing people to go down their own path instead of some path that someone else has decided is the one to follow. Um, so, I mean, ironically, I didn't have a need for a church. I wouldn't be here if Grace wasn't here, if my, if my wife wasn't here. Um, I'm here because um, I think it what has been created here and what this not, not just you you big picture but what this church this community has developed is very inclusive and I've always felt um, incredibly grateful for the way I was welcomed into this group when I was here alone for the first few months before Lizzie and my wife joined me here and, um, um, you know, um, we do good. We try to put good out in the world. We try to look after our community. We look, try to look after each other. Um, and um, 
for all those things, I'm happy to be here. And um, um, it's it's really a, made a certainly my life here and I, my family's life here much richer. Um, and I'm proud to be a part of it. So that's my story. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> so I was raised Methodist, um, sort of, because my grandfather was a Methodist minister, and I also have an uncle who's a Methodist minister. Um, and my parents were always very involved. They actually met at church uh, where my grandfather was the minister. So my father was always a lay person or lay leader. My mom plays the piano, she plays the organ, she's a music director, so our family was always extremely involved in church. Um, however, a funny thing happens when your family's involved in church is that it becomes a little bit more about your family than it does about church, um, at least it did for me, um, and not that I don't believe some of the Methodist principles, but um, you know, my, I'm the granddaughter of the minister, and what I experience from that relationship is a lot of love and, and acceptance and support, um, and it didn't seem as much about the faith as it just did about family and people. 
Um, and of course, we did a lot of singing, and I really like to sing. Um, and so that's a great part of church and a great part of this church as well, any church. But um, And then as I grew up, um, my dad started actually, he got... We moved away from his family. He started exploring other kinds of things. Um, uh, Life Spring, I don't know if anyone remembers Life Spring. We did that as a family, and then my father got much further into it. My mom was maybe not so much. Um, and then he also did a course in miracles and through attitudinal healing um, and was very involved in that, which is sort of is a therapeutic um, religious modality, um, which was very appealing to me, um, and my and my parents grew apart, and uh, they eventually divorced, and my mom sort of remained Methodist, and my father sort of started to explore other other things and continued on with the uh, um, attitudinal healing and, and those kinds of things. So uh, there's a lot of diversity in my family um, religiously. Um, so and then. That sort of um, sort of broke apart, broke me away from the Methodist Church, which I really wasn't all that tethered to anyway. More the family and the people, and um, and then I went to college and I started um, studying philosophy and psychology. Um, I met, I, I made friendships with people from all different faiths, um, even people who didn't have. A, faith or a lot of Wiccan modalities, um, just started learning a lot of new things and thinking about the power of the earth, um, the power of energy, the things that we can't explain, um, also the universe and um, lots of science things that um, aren't really, doesn't really jive with the religious perspective. Um, And then I decided that I wanted to become a psychologist um, and that really sort of, sort of pulled me away from this idea that, um, you know, that, that every, this strict notion that people need to believe a certain thing. Um, and I also began exploring meditation, Buddhist traditions. Um, my husband was raised Jehovah's Witness, um, which was really horrible for him. Um, and then he is is more Buddhist and more Taoism. Uh, I can't even explain what he is because he also knows a lot about religion and it's almost like a hobby for him, but he um, doesn't like the community aspects, was never, never found a good community to have a faith in. So church is very scary for him where I feel um, typically like, ah, let's go into church. It's very relaxing, kind of comforting, um, connected place for me. And um, he's basically having a panic attack. So, so, but I I, um, feel like um, I agree with kind of the others. I feel very connected, um, like people shouldn't be separate. Um, I, I meet a lot of I have a lot of friends from various religions. I have a lot of clients from various religions. I love to learn from other people. Um, I, I, I have a lot of different views. I don't even know what I believe sometimes. I just um, want to learn more. I want to be, um, be able to op- open myself up to people and the different ways that they think about things. Um, I'm very non-judgmental, um, and I don't like to be... Um, ex- exclude people. I just don't 
understand that. Um, I don't feel like it's healthy or good for anyone. Um, and I, again, believe that the world is not the nicest place. Um, so I didn't even know that was UU. And, um, and I have, I, I was living in Winchester and um, through meeting some of the therapists there, they said, well, you should try the UU church out. And I had, I don't think I'd gone to church in a very long time because um, I, uh, I mean, only for special occasions, nothing consistently. Um, and, and I thought, ooh, maybe, maybe I will. Um, but it also uh, has this uh, unusual effect of um, kind of connecting me to a community but taking me a little bit away from my family because they're, they're, still, all belie- they're m- still very strict. My mom's very strict. My brother is also very strict um, in his religious beliefs. So... Um, but uh, so I didn't ex- find a UU church until I came back to Loudoun County, and I went to the Sterling UU church, and I met some people there that had come here, and um, they said that it was small and old-fashioned, and I said, "Ooh, that's what I like. <laughs> that sounds great." Um, and I came in the door and felt welcome, and wow, this sounds feels like a great place for me, a great. Um, family, community, that's how, what I like, and I was sold. So, um, and I, again, I want to thank this um, congregation for just being such, so lovely and so wonderful. It's just, it's, it's been a, a great experience, and I think it's sort of renewed my faith and my spirituality. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Greg, Carrie, and Alex. Um, I always find it very inspiring to hear other people talk about their paths. And clearly, we come from very different paths, but clearly we also have something in common, and that's our desire for connectedness with each other and connectedness with the universe, with nature or whatever you want to call it that's around us. And I think that's the the central theme that came out of uh, today's talks. And 